This podcast was recorded on the ancestral lands on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. This is Humans on Rights, a podcast advocating for the education of human rights. Here's your host, Stuart Murray. Rhonda Thompson-Wilson is an HR professional. She is a singer, songwriter, and a mentor who regularly donates her time to community organizations from performing to financial consulting to facilitating events. She is the treasurer for Black History Month Celebration Committee And she is the president of the Congress of Black Women of Manitoba. And if there was ever a podcast episode that I wanted my guests not to respond in talking to the answers, but to sing, this would be one because Rhonda Thompson Wilson has the voice of an angel. And I am delighted to welcome you to Humans on Rights, Rhonda. Thanks for taking some time to have this conversation. Oh, thank you so much for having me here today. Sorry. You know, I have uh, been blessed in parts of my career when I was in politics. Uh, I would love to go to some of the, the Black History Month celebrations. And uh, some of the best ones were when I had a chance to hear you sing. And I know that we're going to talk about the concert that's going to be coming up on March the 4th, the Black History Month Heart, Spirit and Soul concert, which I know you're involved in. But let's start our journey kind of at the beginning, Rhonda. Where's your family from? Well, um, my family originates from Jamaica, from the parish of St. Thomas. Both my mom and my dad met. They grew up in that parish and they met there. Um, My parents took a bit of a wayward journey to Canada. Um, They were invited to go to England um, to visit family and, I mean, potentially even um, migrate to that that country. And then they they changed their mind, got an invitation letter from my aunt who was already here in Canada for some opportunities. So my mom came over here as a domestic worker back in the 70s. And that's how we ended up being born and raised in Canada. And so, Rhonda, did your did your folks come directly to Winnipeg when they arrived in Canada? They did, yes. By way of, I mean, they traveled through, at that time, they would have had to travel through Montreal, um, but their final destination was to be Winnipeg, Manitoba, not knowing anything about the weather here. Yeah, no, no, I keep saying, you know, they arrived sometime in, um, in July, August. Uh, Obviously, I mean, yeah. that's the only reason why they would want to stay. I hear you, Rhonda. Hey, listen, did you have other family members that were here in Winnipeg? Was that the draw? My aunt and uncle were here in Winnipeg, and that's the only family we had in Canada. Wow. But because there was the program that was encouraging um, immigration from Caribbean countries such as Jamaica, that's why they were able to to get through, to get their papers here. Amazing. So do you get a chance to go back to Jamaica? I go back very regularly. And as a matter of fact, I'm heading there in a couple, few weeks. So I'm going to be spending some, some time in March there right after all our festivities are all done. Yeah, good for you. That's fantastic. So where would you go to school in Winnipeg? Where did you start as your uh, your early years in schooling? 
Yes. So um, when my parents first arrived here, we were in central downtown Winnipeg. So we went to Pinkham School, which is right off of Sherbrooke, um, Logan, that area there. And then um, we went to King Edward Community School in the North End. And I actually went to Isaac Newton Junior High School for grade seven. And I think that was one of the pivotal years for me in starting um, being part of performing arts because they had an amazing program there. And they were, it was one of those first times that I was able to be on a stage. And I look back and I just never looked back from there. And when I follow my journey backwards, that's where I put it to. And what allowed you to get that sense of freedom or get that sense of self. And that's what you really wanted to do. Was there, did somebody have to coach you, encourage you, or was it really something inside you and you went, aha, that's my moment. This is me. I've been told that it was innate in me from, from a young age. We, we did a lot of dance. So we were in ballet, we were in gymnastics, we were in swimming and I was always drawn to music. It's something, my dad was a DJ when we were young. So music in our house, staple. Every every weekend, uh, you're waking up to music. That's how we start our house cleaning. That's how our weekend starts. And Sunday mornings before church, again, the, the radio is on, the music's playing, the eight track. I'm going to date myself. The eight track was on, <laughs> Charlie Pride, um, Willie Nelson. We were, It was such a wide range of music that we listened to growing up. And I think that that just fostered my love for, for music. So it started from my childhood and, and, and it's from my parents. My parents are music lovers and, and to this day, they're, they're lovers of music. So, so your dad was a DJ. My dad was a DJ. Okay. And was that something that, I mean, you just think about like Willie Nelson as an example, like, so if you're a DJ, I mean, you know, you can always go back to looking at what sort of roots that your family would have in terms of the music that they would have been brought up at. But you think about things like learning, like, you know, the Willie Nelsons of the world and, and that sort of thing. It's a fantastic world when you think about the importance of music, regardless of where it comes from. I mean, it just it connects with you, right? Absolutely. And the words, um, music is a form of communication. And that goes back from our ancestors. It was always a way to communicate, whether it be the drums that started celebrations, uh, the lyrics where people were able to express their stories and, and storytelling um, through that format is, is where that all comes to. And I think that's why my, my parents went to country music specifically, because there's so many in-depth stories within that genre that... Um, maybe weren't being told in, in other genres. So it was less about the, the genre and the beat for us. And it was about listening to the words and, and really understanding the stories of other people that might not have looked like myself. So um, it gave me a broader sense of how others live. And so I can see the similarities as well as the difference. And I think that that has helped me in, in being able to communicate with others as well. And Rhonda, did you ever have a chance to take singing lessons or acting lessons or anything at all that would give you sort of that sense of what it's like to be on the stage? Or was it all Rhonda Thompson? My mom had signed us up for piano lessons when we were young. So um, my sister and I were were trained in piano, which again, if you're knowing how 
the musical base is. It allows you to do structuring for songs. And that's where that, that STEM goes, comes from for me. Um, having that capability to format melodies in my head. Again, that back, that musical background was, was very helpful and that's where it started. So recitals, you know, even with ballet, they put you in recitals. So from small, I've got pictures of us on the stage. We were with Royal Winnipeg Ballet, little teeny tiny Nadia's and Ron. <laughs> we were five and six at, at that point. And that's where our love of dance came from as well. So my parents were able to see it in us quite early and found ways, although we didn't have a lot of the means. Oftentimes households have that financial barrier. I don't know how my parents did it because they had twin girls as well as I had an older brother as well in the household. So trying to find that balance of making ends meet while still um, allowing us the opportunity to be able to thrive in which area we wanted or needed to, to thrive in. I think that that um, goes to the, the strength and courage of my parents to be able to find a way to just make it work. Yeah, I know for sure. So a couple of quick things here. I know Nadia, of course, Nadia is so incredibly active in the community and she sits on my board. So I'm very, very proud of her. And she's an amazing woman. But you are twins. We are twins. Yes. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, sort of know that. So you've got a twin sister who's as eagerly and as active in the community. And I think she, I always call her the president of Black History Manitoba. I think she said, well, I'm the chair. I'm not sure. You know, she always sort of wants to downplay it. And I'm like, no, no, you're rocking it. You're rocking it. She is a force. Yeah, she is totally a force. But so twin sister and your brother, tell me a bit about your mother. Your father was a, a DJ. Your mother, how, how was she important in your life as you were starting to discover the fact that you really enjoyed being on the stage? Yes, I think that my mother really showed me how important it is to, she gave me strength and courage to get out there and just do what needed to be done. I think that's what I got from her. She was, she worked two jobs. She was a waitress for most of our career or for most of our childhood. Her career went from restaurant to restaurant and she often had to do two part-time jobs, um, retail or service industry. And she did it with such pride and she never looked at it as just a job. She was consistent and she was hardworking and we could see that because I mean, we would have to, she, you know, service, she was working in the evening. So a lot of times we'd come home, we had a key to get in, we'd have a babysitter come when we were younger, but we spent a bit of time by, by ourselves while she was going to work in the evening as we got a little bit older and, and cause we had an older brother, he was able to watch us, but we always, we never felt abandoned. We never felt like she was picking her work over us. We understood quite quickly that she was doing that all for us to be able to do what we needed to, to, to do. So she made sure that we knew that home uh, schoolwork came first. She would ensure that when she came home, as late as it was, we were supposed to leave our homework on the table so that she can see. And in the morning, if, if that wasn't on the table, we were hearing about it or she would wake us up before we were supposed to get up and make sure that we got our schoolwork done. So she was very, very strong on education and making sure that we we got what we needed to get done. Anything else was just icing on the cake. So as long as we had that foundation, music to her probably wasn't as important as it was to me when I was growing up. So I kind of had to fight for the right to, to do that kind of stuff. So that's why I say that my schooling at 
Isaac Newton, which combined education and the performing arts was so pivotal because I don't know that my mom would have truly taken my talents seriously had she not gotten the opportunity to see me on stage in junior high. So I think that that's why that was why I find that so pivotal, because oftentimes if your parents don't have enough time to be able to see you excel in sports or sometimes the report card is the only gauge that they have. And that's why there's so much purpose behind your education. So if you're wanting to excel in another area, they always want you to be able to prove it to me, prove that you can do that and your schoolwork. And that's what I ended up having to do. So I always had to make sure my marks were high. She was able to give me a little bit more leeway. But as soon as my marks fell, or if I didn't bring in those A's, I was pulled off of the basketball team, which I loved. I loved being a part of that, but I knew that school was first and I knew that I, I had to suffer the consequence if I was able, if I was making that lapse. And that's, uh, you know, really such a powerful sort of message, you know, when you've got parents that are so passionate to make sure that you succeed and they've got sort of always that grounding that they want you to be grounded as you sort of go. But, you know, Rhonda, I want to make a comment that the fact that your mother was able to see you on stage and how that had an impact on how she was able to not hear about you telling a story about how great the concert was or how great the performance or whatever it may be, but she was able to see it firsthand. There's a lot of times that, that parents and particular mothers are working. And the fact that she was able to find a way to see you is really, I think, so important to how your career has been able to advance. And I just think that, you know, those moments in time, of having a parent who is able to find a way from work because typically a lot of performances happen and during the day or when your your parents or your your mother may be working so that must have been a very proud moment for your mother your father and for for you as well absolutely yeah and and that's why i and i know and i see that with other children when i go through the mentorship programs i see that they're you know they're looking in the stands when their parents can come and see a performance after we've been working so hard for the week to to gather something together it's just the joy in their eyes and it takes me right back to that time and it's just beautiful and i and i always hope that that ends up being a pivotal moment for them as well and and it's just great to see i'm it's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about doing the work in the community and because I know that somebody else had to do it for me. And if, why not me? Like, why, why wouldn't I give back to a community that gave to me? Because if somebody wasn't there to, to mentor me, to push me, because I'm a shy individual. Most people don't, my sister rolls her eyes every time I say (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Hey, listen, I'm going with your sister on that one. But hey, this is your show, Rhonda. So we're going with your shy. I'm all good. I'm all in. Extremely shy. I have to kind of muster up the courage to 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 get out there and, and do what I love to do. But once I'm in the moment, I'm good. But I I I do stress to people. And and I mean it's a good thing for people to know that not everybody that you see on a stage is necessarily comfortable in doing it. It's not necessarily their natural instinct to be out in front. I like playing the background. I'm a-okay with that. And that has fostered my songwriting side because a lot of the stuff that I create, nobody ever even hears. Uh, I mean, it's sometimes just therapy for myself. Uh, so I use that, uh, the pen and the paper is is my way of getting my, my story out there. But I, I write a lot of stuff that 
never does hit anybody else's ear for that just because it's 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 a way to communicate and a way to release that is not necessarily for for public consumption. Yeah, and I want to talk singing, songwriting, mentoring, but do you have a moment, Rhonda, where you could share the very first performance you did at Isaac Newton? Do you remember what that was? We did a musical for Dirty Dancing. Actually, it was a reenactment. So I sang "Be My Little Baby." Yeah, so <laughs> it was a, a movie. I don't even know that my parents had even let me watch the movie. So me learning about the movie was through the musical that we did at school. And then I ended up getting being allowed to watch the movie afterwards. But that was the the song that I that I did. And the just the cheering of the audience. And then it ended up being such a hit, like the whole production. We ended up taking the production and going on a Western Canadian tour. So that was my first touring experience as well. And I was 11 years old in grade seven when we did that. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah, It was really fun. I had braces, glasses. I mean, it was junior high was a bit of a mess. (laughs) 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 But once I hit that stage, I just felt like I felt like a brand new person. and, And I just knew that that was probably the path for me. You touched on something that, you know, when you say that you're a shy person, we can maybe debate that for a while. But, you know, Rhonda, the fact of life is it's interesting that people who may be not as comfortable having conversations, but, you know, and they're not looking for the spotlight, but when they get a chance to to sing or perform or whatever it may be, they have a sense of releasing any inhibitions and they just become, you know, who they are. And, you know, clearly that was your experience. What was some of the memories of you touring as a grade 11 or sorry, I apologize, an 11 year old in grade seven uh, going on the road? What was that like? Well, it's the first time I remember going out West in Canada. So, and we went by bus. So we got to actually see a bit of Canada that I didn't even know existed. So, I mean, we used to go to um, events out in Gimli, let's say. So I had been outside of Winnipeg, but I don't think that I had been on the road outside of Manitoba, definitely not West. So going through Saskatchewan and, and being able to stop in Regina, Saskatoon, I think we went to Esteban and all these little, little towns, Otterburn, I remember going through, like, so I was like, I didn't realize the vastness of, because I mean, you can see Canada on a map or on a globe, but you don't truly understand the vastness of it until you're driving by vehicle. (laughs) Yeah. Going and it's hours and hours before you hit somewhere. So it gave me that sense of, wow, Winnipeg is just such a small little blip on the radar. And there's so much out here. And even the crowd reception to us as kids. We were kids doing these performances in high school. So kids that were older than us. And it was just a surreal experience. And I was just so happy to be able, we weren't allowed to have sleepovers. So that was my first time even doing an overnight with friends. And I was like, that was a new experience in and of itself. Because I mean, as we're living in a Caribbean household, it was very 
we were quite sheltered. We weren't really allowed to go over to people's houses or have them come over to our house. So that was the first experience that I had about being away from my parents for, for any significant period of time. We were gone for a week. So it was quite quite an experience. Oh, no. I mean, at that age and being that young, you know, I mean, it's one thing to do a day trip to Steinbeck, but you get your road chops when you can say to have a couple of overnighters, right? Because Absolutely. that's where, right? That's all part of it. Yeah. And nowadays, if somebody says, hey, let's hit the road, I'm down for a 13-hour drive anywhere. Just put me behind the wheel, I'm gone. You're way to go. Good for you. Hey, so you're you're now in junior high, say. So what else did you do to further your career as a as a singer, songwriter, as a performer? What other things did you get into? I only spent one year at Isaac Newton. Um, my mom ended up buying a house in South St. Mattel, a brand new area with a brand new school. So we, I pretty well had to start over, um, lost contact. We didn't have Facebook and all that stuff. So I lost contact with all of my friends and all of the people that I had had that pivotal time with. It was not a good time for me. I think I definitely had to hide my disappointment in that because I knew my mom was so happy that she was able to take us. She felt like she was taking us out of, she she felt like she was elevating us. I don't know necessarily how she looked at it that way, but I, I could just sense how much joy she had and pride because um, my parents had built a new house out in South St. Patel and they were just excited for a brand new experience. We're going to be going to a brand new school. The first, it was going to be just opening its door. So it was hard for me. I had to start over in regards to performing. Nobody knew me, um, where I had kind of gained a little bit of notoriety as they say at absolutely school, so I, was, I was excited for that and then I kind of felt like kind of deflated but so they didn't have as expansive a music program at the new school that I was going to brand new so it didn't have band or anything like that so again I felt like I'm back to square one because I had started to play the clarinet at school and stuff like that um but as time went on grade eight grade nine there wasn't much going on for singing. They would have some dances and this and that. And, and they'd be like, oh, does anybody want, you know, karaoke type stuff? So I started to kind of branch out and get the, the singing done, but nothing on a scale as I did as at my junior high school before that. But then I had explained to my mom, uh, Dakota Collegiate was supposed to be my feeder school. But um, I knew from talking to people in the community that Glenlawn Collegiate was the place to go if you wanted to do performing arts. So at that time, you had to go through a big process. Your parents had to write a letter and you had to go for interview and meetings with the administrators at the school. So I was hesitant to even ask my mom to be able to go through that process. But I did because I felt strongly enough that I really wanted to get back into a, a formalized program. So my mom took the time off of work and went down and went through the process. So again, as much as she wasn't, she didn't advocate for me to go into performing arts, she didn't find ways to hinder me either. So she did what she felt that she could do within her purview. So I ended up going to Glenlawn Collegiate and I got back into band. They have an amazing um, choir program, musical theater. To this day, they are one of the, the top high schools for that, for that program. So I was able to get back into those things. So again, I was able to shine. They had spirit week, we did solos and stuff like that. And I felt like I was back in, in a good space. And so 
from there, I mean, it started to escalate again. So I graduated from their musical program there at Glenlawn Collegiate. What sorts of things would you have done at Glenlawn? Really got you interested? What kind of musical performances would you do? Well, so they had Spirit Week, which was a, a very focused on the on music. So they had dance competitions, they had singing competitions. We reenacted videos, like music videos. So we were able to show all our different chops with acting, dancing, and and singing all at once. They had musical theater. So we did an ABBA performance. We um, so again, I got to do because they were trying to cater to a larger audience. I got to dip into genres that I wouldn't normally go to because um, what I grew up on was going to be now at that age through teenagers, it was hip hop, R&B, gospel, um, that style. So like the urban genre. And then, um, but I got exposure to a lot of different, a lot of different areas. So acting was something that I didn't know, again, shy. So I know that acting <laughs> kind of have to be out there front and center. That really wasn't really my space. So I tried to just find ways to fill with my vocals. So, and that's what they had allowed me to do. So a lot of the different musical theater productions and, and choir productions we went um, to do the different ones against the schools and such. So I got to do some of that. But again, I had to be, I had to walk a fine line because of course you're in high school, that that much more academics. And I had to make sure that I <laughs> get my grades up. So again, it was in high school that I was taken. I wanted to go into some athletics. And my mom told me that I had to remove myself from the team because I couldn't do both music and athletics. I had to choose because she didn't want my my grades to be slipping. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So Rhonda, one of the things that you know we talk about during the month of February, Black History Manitoba, the organization celebrates Black History Month. And part of it is, I think this year, um, Nadia, if she said it once, she said it a hundred times, black resistance, remember, recognize, educate. When you were growing up, Rhonda, with your sister and your brother and your family. Did anybody ever make you feel different because of the color of your skin? I knew I was different. It wasn't even that anybody had to make me feel different. I knew I was because I could look around the classroom and it was just my sister and I at one point um, in grade two, they actually moved me up a grade. So now my sister wasn't even in the same class as me going forward into school. So um, I ended up being the only black girl in, in many different circles and um, where my sister was kind of my safe space. And I always knew that there was at least one person that I could have some commonality with. I found ways to, to fit in at the expense of my own freedom because many of my friends were allowed to go to the mall after school or different things. Being in a Caribbean household, I don't know if if you, you've probably heard the stories. It is as strict as you've heard. So after school, home. If you're not home, if somebody sees you out on the street, you're in trouble. You're going to get in trouble by the person that saw you as well as from your parents when they get home. It was very strict. No phone calls from people. No one's coming over to visit. So we were quite sheltered and so I knew that we were different in that my parents didn't allow us the freedoms that my friends were, were allowed. And so that made me feel different. I could understand that. So what helped going through that was to be a part of um, the Jamaican Association of Manitoba. We had Saturday morning classes. So 
the group of children that were going there as well, lifelong friends, I call them family because they were going through a similar childhood as, as I was. So I couldn't necessarily go and tell my friends at school that my mom yelled at me and grounded me for a week. And because nobody even knew what I was even talking about. Nobody could relate, you know? And it's like, well, what did, oh my goodness, what did you do? It's like, oh, well, I was supposed to get home at four o'clock and I didn't get home until 10 after four. And they're like, oh, your parents are so mean. Da, 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 and nobody could understand. And then it's like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm glad I don't have black parents. That's what we would hear. And it's like, oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm black. So my parents are <laughs> yeah. This is what I had to do. You know what I mean? And they just couldn't, they just couldn't relate. But when we were able to be a part of an association who all the children there, they made a point to teach us about the history of where we came from, because in school, we didn't hear anything. I didn't know how Black people got to Canada. I couldn't figure out why there wasn't many of us here. It's like, where are we? Like, what's happened? I didn't know that the first Black person came as an interpreter. I didn't learn all this stuff until I was in my well into my adulthood working with Black History Manitoba because there was no push to have our story told in the textbook. So the textbook reads from A to Z and there's no mention of us whatsoever. So I thought that my parents were one of the pioneers and the first Black people to venture into Canada because nobody told me any different. So I probably said some things to people and they're like, oh my gosh, she thinks that her parents are so special because they can't, it's like, I didn't know. And, and I thought that school was where you learned history. I was in the history classes, but I didn't hear anything about black people and any significance that they had at all. So when I found out about black history, Manitoba and the celebration committee, I was so eager to, to learn. It's like, a, this group has been around for forever and they're doing the work. So how come they've been in place since 1981? And, I'm, and I know that I have kids in the school system now that are still not learning. So what's, what's happened? And, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I, you, can, you can know that you're different and that's okay. And I learned that quite early as well. We might have differences and that's okay. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. So let's learn about each other. And there's an easy way for us to just coexist. I mean, just learn about each other and learn where our histories intersect. That's the beautiful thing about being in Canada is that there's nothing wrong with being different. I'm still Canadian. You're Canadian. Totally. Our roots might be different, but now we're on the same tree. So let's find a way to celebrate the different fruits that we are. Yeah. And I, I love the, the way you just sort of put that, that our roots are different, but we're on the same tree. And I picked up something. Uh, I was reading an article. I think that CBC had uh, posted that you had authored Rhonda. And I think one of the comments you made in there was love the skin you're in. Yes. And I thought what a great way to, to sort of make that feeling of, of kind of the different roots, but on being on the same tree. It's a, it's really, it's really well done. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So Rhonda, let's, uh, well, first, I was going to ask you one other question before I want to talk about your, your whole music side and your singing songwriting side. And of course, as I say, we want to talk about the concert that's coming up. Are you religious? I am. Yes, I attend. I'm a member of Truth and Life Worship Center. So my spirituality keeps me grounded, keeps me rooted. I know from my perspective where I came from and I know who watches out for me. And 
And that helps me get through a lot because my parents have from small, even when my parents weren't necessarily going, because my mom worked late at night, she didn't always get up on a Sunday morning, but we were sent to Sunday school every Sunday from the time we were little. And so one of our mentors at this point is still a senior pastor at my church, Pastor Milton Chambers. Um, he's the father of Marcus Chambers, who is the deputy mayor of Winnipeg. Absolutely, and yeah. Yes, our families go right back. Um, my my mom spent time in England, and that's actually where they had migrated to from Jamaica. And then they ended up coming here to Canada. So um, we've known them. They've known me my entire life they, from, from baby. So, I mean, he's still a member. He's one of the founding members of Black History Month Celebration Committee. And he's still a pivotal member of our committee 42 years later in his 90s, still going strong, still advocating, still making powerful moves. It's like when you have individuals like that, Mrs. Mavis McLaren, right? again, she was one of our teachers with the Jamaican Association, pivotal time in our lives when we're being molded as young, like preteens, knowing that she's still doing that work. It's so important to see that those individuals who had to endure hardships that we couldn't even imagine, we can't fathom at this point because they already broke down walls that we never, we never even had to know existed. Yes. It's, it's not fantastic now, but it had to have been so much worse back then when they first came in the sixties and the seventies, having to deal with the challenges of getting an apartment, simple, basic human rights, yeah, housing, food, um, finding a way to have employment without having to be put into a box of saying that you can only do domestic work because that's probably all that you're able to do. Not thinking that these individuals are coming, they're educated, they're coming here educated and not just because they look a certain way can you make the assumption that they can't do what you can do. But that's truly was what they were told and that's how the society was at that point. And to, to just know that those individuals never gave up because if they had given up, then I don't know where I would be at this point. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the other names that sometimes gets mentioned in these conversations, of course, is Wade Kojo Williams Jr., who I got a chance to meet in my time in politics, Rhonda, and um, again, a very passionate man. And I, I would say that, uh, you know, there's a number of incredible community leaders from from the black community who have really elevated and made Winnipeg a better city and you know it's a notion that they're never looking for the recognition right they don't do it for that they do it because they're they're believers in community and they're believers in trying to make this a better world and they have done that and so you know you know you're in the presence of greatness when you're in the room and they're there and when we did the the launch at city hall for black history month a Reverend Milton Chambers was was there. And I, of course, I've seen him on Zoom conversations during the time, but so it was uh, such a wonderful treat and an honor to meet him. And of course, you know, I know Marcus from back to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights and now that he's deputy mayor and doing great things. So that was a really great launch. I thought that was uh, just an excellent launch at City Hall. Yeah, me too. And it set a wonderful tone for the for the rest of the month and and the rest of the year, because as we say, Black history needs to be talked about 365 days a year. We elevate it, we amplify it, we we celebrate it during February, but 
it is by no means put into a box on March 1st. For sure. As a matter of fact, you know, that's a kind of an interesting segue because March 4th is going to be an amazing evening. Tell us a little bit about the Black History Month Heart, Spirit and Soul concert that you are so involved in. The Heart, Spirit and Soul concert is actually one of the traditional standing events that we have every single year. So this is actually the 42nd annual Heart, Spirit and Soul community concert. Congratulations. Thank you. It's one of the initial events that they had made sure that they put into the calendar, even when there was just a couple of events, because they know how important music is to our community. It is a way that we celebrate. It's a way that we communicate. It's a way that we advocate. So we make sure that we use it in in its many forms and we uh, we want to celebrate and, and use it to bring forth a message to the rest of the community. And we just love to have it. And we thought that this is the perfect year for us to use it as our March event, because we know that music is celebration and we're, we're making sure intentionally that the celebration continues into the following month. And we hope that individuals will take it going forward. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I want to talk about that, but you know what I love about what the Black History Manitoba organization is doing is kind of, as you said, it, it's not just about the month of February, you know, like let's kind of launch something in January, celebrate tremendous events, which the calendar at Black History Manitoba calendar is robust, robust. There's so much stuff going on. It's incredible. But then let's have a concert and let's kind of move the concert into March. You know, let's just kind of move this thing out. And so let's talk about the concert. I'm going to be there. And so I want to know what's the theme or what are you trying to do? And tell us a little bit about what somebody who's coming to the concert, besides just being incredibly spiritually motivated and challenged and all of that, you know, you're putting this thing on. So tell us about how you feel that you want people to sort of experience when they're there and when they leave. When they leave those doors, we want them to feel full. We want them to feel uplifted. We want them to feel connected. So we've made a point to try and gather up soloists, um, poets. We have drummers. We have um, dancers. We're trying to get all the different elements of music to be to come together into a program that's we also don't want to keep people for four hours. So <laughs> we try to try to make sure that we're succinct and allow individuals to have a time to engage with each other, meet somebody new. Um, we've also taken down financial barriers because we want individuals that are newcomers to Winnipeg that have never experienced some of our events. Usually there's a cost for this concert. We've taken that away so that we'll absorb any expenses and we'll we'll find a way to make it work so that the people that are involved are going to get compensated accordingly because we want them to know that their time and their commitment to the event is appreciated and and we want to acknowledge that they put a lot of effort in um, but we also want as many people as possible to come to the event so the event is completely free we're using a community church that has a large youth participation and they've also got a young black youth pastor there and he's a musician in his own right. So, um, and he's always been a part of our events. So we said, you know what, let's, let's take it to New Beginnings Church, which is a church that many people might not have known about or attended. So we wanted to bring it somewhere new. We did it. We did go there in 2019 and it was the first time that we had gone there and they were just so happy to, to have the program there. And we decided, you know what, let's, let's revisit it because there was two events that were going on that same night. So with some people that wanted to come were 
more table to come. So we figured, you know, we're going to roll it back and we're going to do it again from the same location. And we're going to invite a lot of new groups to come aboard. So we want everybody to know it's free of charge. Everyone is welcome. Um, we want you to come expecting great things. And, and if you're a lover of music, we hope that we'll find something that's going to touch every different um, orifice of you and make sure that you, you feel alive and, and uplifted when you, when you come out, because that's why we want it. It's a community concert. We want everybody to feel engaged and, and be a part of it and, and to just celebrate the beautiful gift that music is and how wonderful of a communication tool and a celebration tool it is as well. So Rhonda, that is uh, taking place, as you say, at the New Beginnings Church, which is 1073-1073 Mary's Road. And it's uh, doors open at six and it starts at 630. What are you going to be performing? What do you, What is your role specifically? Well, I'm the coordinator for the event, but I will also be singing with a group that evening. Um, the Truth and Life Worship Center praise team will be doing a number that evening. And then um, I'll just be kind of wrangling everything together and just making sure that the, the event goes off without any hitches. We're also going to have um, patties and drinks for sale. So if, you've, if you haven't had a patty in a while or if you've never tried one before, we'll have some Jamaican beef patties there for sale. Um, and then some snacks and stuff for the kids. So it'll be, it'll be a fun, a fun night. And, and we hope that everybody it'll be out. amazing for sure. As we kind of, as they say, kind of hit the off ramp on the conversation. Why do you think, you know, music has this power to bring people together? Music for everyone is something different. And I think that because it's made up of words and beats, some people, because we know how powerful words are in and of themselves that people have gone through the darkest times in their lives because music was there. And I know that uh, many of the people that I had communicated with over the past couple of years, there is a reason why there was so many online concerts and people were doing concerts on their street corners. They were doing concerts from their basements, their kitchens. It's because music connects us all. And no matter what genre it is, no matter if they're speaking even in the language that you know for yourself, there is always something that we can take away from music. Because if you can't understand the words, the words the the emotion that the music brings to the words is something that even if you can't understand the words, you still feel what the person that wrote the song is going through. And I would use an example as when they do score music for films. If you took away the score music to a movie, the movie would never impact you the way it does if you couldn't hear it. It's the vehicle that drives people's emotions and the beat, like I said, for many, the drum, to me, it's a driving force behind the music. So people feel uplifted. To me, it connects me back to my ancestors. When I hear a drum, I can close my eyes and I can almost see villages celebrating. I can, I can see babies being born and being brought to people. I see marriages coming together. I see family gatherings. I see barbecues. I see everything. Music to me connects 
everything joyful in the world. Does it do that for everybody? Maybe not, but I'm able to find great joy in music. Music is just a vehicle of happiness for me. If it is in times of sadness, again, it's it's a way to get through. And, and I find that people use music as therapy. Uh, music is love. Music is strength. Music is so many things to so many people, but it comes right back to your emotion and how it makes you feel. I started this podcast off by saying that I wish that my guest being Rhonda Thompson Wilson would sing all of her responses rather than speak them. I can just tell people that if they really want to be energized and be uplifted and be spiritually touched to be at the heart, spirit and soul concert on March the 4th at the Beginnings Church, 1073 St. Mary's Road. Rhonda, I know how busy you are. I know it was a challenge for us to sort of find this conversation and it means a tremendous amount. I, I thank you so much and I, I value our friendship. I always learn from you and uh, I thank you for this conversation and it just makes me look for many, many more with you. So thank you for all you do in the community. Thank you for sharing some time. Thank you. And if I could say anything before I go, I'd say, lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring, ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Thank you so much for your time today and, and having this conversation. I really appreciate it. On that note, thank you very much, Rhonda. Thanks for listening to Humans on Rights. A transcript of this episode is available by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. Humans on Rights is recorded and hosted by Stuart Murray. Social media marketing by Buffy Davey. Music by Doug Edmond. For more, go to humanrightshub.ca. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.